0: What fires you up? We often use this expression to speak of both the positive and negative things that move us into action. This can elicit emotionally charged reactions to that which we are passionate about. Now, some of you get fired up over your favorite sports teams. The excitement of game day compels you to prepare with elaborate tailgates with your friends as you patiently wait for the start of the game to begin. Maybe you go dressed in your favorite team apparel, or maybe you even get crazy and you put on face paint and that sort of thing, and then scream at the top of your lungs when the game begins, trying to fire up the players. Of course, it doesn't have to just be a sporting event. Others get fired up over concerts or movie premieres or vacations or other special events, but certainly we get fired up about something. And yet, we can also get fired up over things that frustrate or anger us. Our home flooded about two months ago, and when it happened, we had about, I don't know, close to 75% of our home flooded while we had been away for a few days in Charleston for Angela's work. We had not been gone from our home almost during this entire pandemic, but the one time we would go away, something like this would happen And all it was was a simple supply line to a toilet upstairs that broke and in breaking, it caused a lot of damage. So over the last number of weeks, we have been working with our insurance company to uh, figure out what it will cost to get things repaired. And we've been working with a contractor that has come in and provided estimates. And yet in the midst of all of this, the insurance company has been a little difficult with us in terms of meeting exactly what our contractor's estimate is. Well, after a period of no response, I had to reach out to our local agency to have them intervene with our adjuster. Needless to say, this fired me up that we were in a position where we've been kind of in a rental home waiting for things to get done and simply waiting on the insurance company to do their work. And so I made this call, and in doing so, this call uh, lit a fire underneath the adjuster to get things moving in the right direction. And we are hopeful that in the weeks to come, we will find ourselves there. But nonetheless, as you can see, we can get fired up about things that excite us and that we're passionate about, and we can get fired up about things that frustrate or anger us, negative things But the question today for you is, do you ever get fired up when it comes to your faith? Does your faith move you into action? You know, today is Pentecost Sunday, a day in which we celebrate God's gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the disciples, just as Jesus had promised it would. Prior to Jesus' ascension into heaven, he tells them this, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Pentecost was first known to the Jews as a festival called the Feast of Weeks, which began 50 days after Passover. This festival began as an agricultural celebration of the end of the spring harvest, but during Jesus' day, it had morphed into a celebration of the renewal of God's covenant with Noah and Moses. This particular celebration focused on God's gift of the law given to Moses at Mount Sinai, which originally marked Israel as God's people called to live in God's ways. Now, providentially, there were a large number of people from all over the known world who had gathered there in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Luke tells us that there were Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, people from Judea and Cappadocia. Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and Libya, and even people from Rome. Now, Those who were gathered there were Jews or foreigners who had converted to Judaism. And for the Christian church, Pentecost would be defined as the moment in which Jesus' promises would come true and he would fire up the disciples to share his good news. Now, the disciples had been obedient to Jesus's command to stay in Jerusalem, but they were still fearful of what might happen to them. You see, it had been less than two months since Jesus was crucified, and I'm sure that there was still talk about what had transpired. And so they were all gathered in a house, and then suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Luke writes about a robust display of God's power that finds the disciples where they are and envelops them. A violent wind could be heard and felt and they saw a visible expression of tongues of fire that came and rested over each of them. And in that moment, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and fired up to speak in other tongues. Now, it's important for you to remember that these disciples were from Galilee. This is an uneducated, peasant community. They were not taught foreign languages growing up. This enigma did not come from their learned linguistic skills, but from the power of the Holy Spirit who was working through them in that moment. Now, those who were gathered there in Jerusalem, they heard the sound of this violent wind and they rushed to the house where the disciples were saying to see what had happened. And as they drew near, they began to hear the disciples praising God in their own native languages. Bewildered, they asked, aren't all those speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Now, These disciples had thick accents that were a dead giveaway to everyone there, that they were from Galilee. Much like many of us who travel up north or maybe go out west are easily recognized by our own accent as being from the south. Well, this immediately got the attention of uh, those who were there because they weren't trained linguists. And they could hear and they could understand them speaking about the great wonders of God. They knew something strange was going on and they couldn't put their finger on it. And so they asked, what does this mean? And yet others, well, they thought the disciples had gotten drunk and that they were just speaking gibberish. In this moment of question, what does this mean? Peter boldly stands up and begins to address the crowd, explaining to them that God had fulfilled his promise through the prophet Joel, that he would pour out his spirit on all people. Led by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter hosts the first ever evangelical crusade and gives the very first sermon explaining what God was doing and had done through Jesus' death and resurrection, declaring that Jesus is indeed Lord and Messiah. And in doing so, this message cut to the hearts of the people who heard it, and they asked Peter, well, how should we respond? And so he instructed them to repent and to be baptized so that they too would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us that about 3,000 of them came to faith and were baptized that day. I mean, talk about receiving members into the church! But I find that it's important for us not to forget that these disciples had previously been very timid and fearful after Jesus' death and resurrection. They didn't boldly tell the good news of Jesus' resurrection to others, They were obedient to wait as Jesus had instructed them, but they had no idea that God was going to fire them up with the power of his spirit. God's timing is perfect, isn't it? He fulfilled his promise when a large group of people would be together in one place to hear it. And he used these timid and scared disciples to share his good news of grace and forgiveness. The Holy Spirit ignited them with a fire, a holy fire, to do that which the church is tasked to do, to bear witness to Jesus Christ. In fact, missiologists Stephen Bevins and Roger Schroeder, they say it this way, Christians are saved to save, reconciled in order to reconcile. Pentecost was the catalyst that would move these disciples to be bold in their faith from that day forward, to acknowledge That they have been saved in Jesus Christ to share that message in order to save others. That they had been reconciled in Jesus Christ in order to share the message of reconciliation. And over 3,000 people came to acknowledge it at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, God's presence had filled them permanently, which was different from the past. You see, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people at different times and in different places. Uh, places in order to enable them to fulfill a specific task but the spirit would then leave them if you remember David's cry in Psalm 51 verses 10 and 11 he says create in me a clean heart O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me You see, Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit is not a temporary presence as the Spirit had been in the past. Rather, the Spirit had come to fill them from this moment on. And you know as Christ's disciples, we affirm that the same Spirit of God that filled the first disciples of Jesus is also alive and present within us. The truth is, is we have the same power at work within us that Jesus promised that would allow them to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And the word for power used here in Greek is dunamis, which in English we get the word dynamite. In other words, the Holy Spirit fills us with an igniting power that leads us to do things that you and I cannot do merely on our own. You see, there's nothing too hard that the Spirit cannot make happen the spirit of god comes to us as god's presence with us to enable us to do that which we cannot do on our own but the question for us is whether or not we desire for the spirit to actually fire us up i have to be honest with you there are times that i wonder if the church has chosen to disconnect from the power source Paul says, do not quench the Spirit, implying that we have the ability to deny the Spirit's power in our lives. I don't know if you know this or not, but Christianity in the United States has seen a major decline in the last 10 years. This seems a bit odd given the fact that we have the freedom of religion and that there are churches on every street corner who share the good news of Jesus Christ and seek to make disciples all the time. In fact, a 2018-2019 Pew Research Center survey indicated that 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians when asked about their religion. But this is down 12 percentage points over the last 10 years. It used to be 77%. In addition, the religiously unaffiliated, which consists of people who describe their religious identity as atheist or agnostic or nothing in particular, now stands at 26% compared to 17% in 2009. Protestantism and Catholicism in America is also on the decline. In 2009, 51% of Americans identified as Protestant, whereas only 43% do now. And likewise, 23% identified as Catholic, whereas only 20% do now. Yet the religious nuns, those who claim to have no religion at all, they're increasing. Atheists from 2% in 2009 to 4% now. Agnostics from 3% to 5%. And 17% of Americans describe their religion as nothing in particular, which is up from 12% in 2009. Now, I don't know about you, but this should fire us up. We shouldn't be content hearing that people are abandoning their faith or that they are embracing no faith at all. Yet at the same time, I believe we should look at it from a positive point of view that God is not through with us yet. We have the privilege of sharing this good news. We have the privilege of being Christ's witnesses and we have the privilege to be used by the Holy Spirit to make a difference by making God known. Paul instructs us, In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, saying this, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Paul says that we're to fan into the flame of God that is in us, In other words, God has ignited the church with the fire of his Holy Spirit. He's alive and living within all of us, yet sometimes we choose to quench the Spirit, being content with complacency in our faith. We choose to be comfortable instead of being challenged. We accept the invitation to come to worship, but often fail to extend invitations for others to join us. We're given opportunities to share our faith, but remain silent, timid, and fearful. Many people don't want to engage the Holy Spirit because they're fearful of what actually might happen. They fear that the Spirit will push them out of their comfort zones to do things that they would never volunteer for. And truthfully, there are many people who just want just enough of God to be happy and don't desire to be filled or fired up by God at all. That requires us to give up control, and many of us are control freaks. But what are we scared of Really, if God is for us, who can be against us? If we can get fired up for so many other things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things, why can't we get fired up about our faith? The truth is we are created to be filled and ignited by God's unconditional love and to share that love with others. And friends, we shouldn't be afraid to stoke the fire because the spirit of God will not burn us that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and equip us to do the things that we never would have imagined doing. See, I don't think that Peter or the rest of the disciples, for that matter, had any clue that God would lead them to boldly preach the good news of Jesus at Pentecost, much less to do it in different languages, or even that 3,000 people would come to faith. But God did it. I believe that you are here for a reason that you are created with purpose by the God of heaven and earth to declare his wonders just as the disciples did at Pentecost. And the way I see it, even if God put us here to lead just one person to faith in Christ, it is well worth our time and energy to be faithful to God. What a life-changing and eternal difference it would make in the life of that individual. You see, we may never speak in tongues, but we can speak about the mighty works of God in our lives with others. For we are created and called with a purpose, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to use the gifts that God has given to us to boldly proclaim his good news to everyone at all times, every day. And so I encourage you today, church, Not to be content, not to hold God at arm's length or to deny the Spirit's power in your life, but to pray boldly that God would fire you up with the power of his Spirit to ignite you with his Pentecostal fire in your hearts so that together we might boldly proclaim his good news to the world so that others can know God and make God known to that together the church might be built up as a part of the mission that we have been tasked with by Jesus Christ. Friends, may we be faithful to this task, not just on this Pentecost Sunday, but each and every day. May it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.